0: The scripture passage for this week is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for for he dwells with you and will be in me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks for reading God's word to us, Jenny. I'm going to invite you to pray with me one more time. Oh Lord, we ask that you would be our help. We ask that you would open our eyes to see clearly the truth, the beauty, the dependability, the wisdom of your every word. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes to see the beauty of Christ himself. Would you do this for us? You've already given us your word, and it's more than we deserve, but we need your help to even understand it, to even take it and believe it, to walk in light of it. Lord, we ask that your word would not just wash over us, but that it would penetrate us deeply and that it would shape our hearts. We ask, Lord, at the words of my mouth and the Meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We will all experience loss. If you haven't already, you will. And you know that every kind of loss hurts. But I wonder if any kind of loss hurts more than losing someone you love. Many of us have felt that. You've experienced that pain firsthand. Some of us live with an intense fear that we will experience that pain. We we fear, we can't imagine what life would be like without a particular someone. Jesus' disciples knew that kind of fear because Christ had just told them that he would be leaving soon and and they could not come with him. And so knowing how much that troubled them, the prospect of losing Jesus, Jesus comes and he promises them this. In John 14, verse two, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and where I am you may also be. Those are settling words. He would come back. And all of his followers have the prospect of living with him eternally when he does come back. But what about till then? What, what, what's going to comfort us now as we wait for his return? Is it just the prospect of his return? No, Jesus gives us more. You know, you've probably seen how a child reacts when his mom says, I'll be right back. That right back isn't always calming, is it? Sometimes the, the separation anxiety is intense. Jesus understands that. His disciples are fearing abandonment, still, even if it's temporary abandonment. They had spent three years with this man They had given up everything to do that. Their their hopes were tied to this man, and now he's leaving, dying, in fact. This wasn't just the loss of a leader, by the way, or the loss of a hero. It's more than that. Even the loss of a leader can be deeply traumatic. I wasn't alive when this country mourned the loss of Martin Luther King, I've only heard secondhand how that affected a large community of people throughout this country. How hopes were dashed and a feeling of hopelessness settled in the hearts of many. I wasn't alive when John F. Kennedy Jr. was assassinated. I wasn't here to To see how that was reported and to see how the country responded to the loss of JFK. But I've heard that it left an entire nation in mourning and grief. But the loss of Jesus here is more than that. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. You see, losing him was more like losing a parent than just losing a leader or a hero. Imagine the depths of sadness and fear. The fear of being orphaned. I wonder if you ever feel abandoned by God. If you ever feel like he is so far away. Maybe you believe that he's still there somewhere, but he's certainly not nearby. Do you ever feel like a spiritual orphan? Like the psalmist in Psalm 42 who says, why have you forgotten me, O Lord? Jesus here speaks to that feeling of abandonment. And he says to his disciples, I will leave you for a time, but I will not leave you alone. And he promises them, and all of his followers since, that they will receive the Holy Spirit. He promises them the Holy Spirit. And what we want to think about today is, what exactly is Jesus promising them and us? Who is the Spirit? whom Jesus promised. The first thing we want to see is that Jesus here is promising his own presence. Even as he leaves, he's promising his own constant abiding presence. Look at verse 15 of John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The first thing we want to see is that the Holy Spirit here, he is, he is not an it. He's a he, a him, and the pronoun matters. The Holy Spirit is not a force, an energy, or a power. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4:30 tells us, "You and I can lie to the Holy Spirit." Acts 5 tells us, "What does that mean?" It means that He is not just a force or an energy; He is a person, not a human, not a physically manifested person, but a spirit with an identity, a personality. The Holy Spirit is a He. And Jesus, in verse 16, calls Him a Helper. Helper. The the Greek word, some of you may have heard it before, it's parakaleo. And it's really hard, notoriously hard, to translate that word into English. Some Bibles use the word helper. Others call him the comforter. Literally, a parakaleo is someone who is called alongside or who comes alongside. Other words that can sometimes be used to translate that word are advocate, advocate or counselor, and, and think counselor like the kind of counselor one relies on in a courtroom, someone who represents you, who advocates for you. My family and I just watched a movie called Just Mercy last night, and if you've watched that movie or if you've read the book on which it's based, you know something of the power that a righteous advocate or counselor can have the movie tells the story of Walter McMillian who was unjustly accused of a crime, sentenced to death for that crime, all because of an unjust police force in his town, unjust prosecutors, and frankly an unjust public that was unwilling to listen to his true story. He was condemned and he stayed condemned until a young attorney named Brian Stevenson was brought into his life. A righteous attorney, a just counselor, made all the difference. The Holy Spirit is, in a sense, our defender, a defender against the accusations, the charges of the enemy. When the enemy accuses the child of God, the Holy Spirit stands in and pleads his case. He stands as a defender against the lies of the enemy. Think about what it means. He pleads our case. That means the Holy Spirit stands before God, testifying before God, and he testifies to us, reminding us of who we are in Christ. And that strengthens us when we're discouraged under the attacks of our enemy and the attacks of our own conscience. You see, the Holy Spirit plays a strengthening role, and that's what a righteous advocate or counselor can do. We see it in the story of Just Mercy. Walter McMillian isn't just served by Bryan Stevenson in the courtroom. This young attorney comes alongside him, encourages him, gives him hope. And it takes a while, but he begins to help this man grow in strength and a will to push on and fight for his own freedom. Frederick Bruner, a famous theologian, he calls the Holy Spirit the true friend. And he says this, he says, a true friend, because a true friend not only encourages but he often confronts and convicts us. And the Holy Spirit does that too. You see, he he communicates comforting truth to us, but he also communicates convicting truth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I trust you have experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, who shows you wickedness in your own heart, where your own mind has gone astray, faithfully, lovingly, reorients you to truth. You know, Jesus even calls him the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth teller. And don't we long for truth tellers in our lives? Sometimes it feels like we don't know who we can trust when it comes to public voices, media voices. Well, we can trust this spirit. He is the spirit of truth. Notice Jesus calls him not just a helper in verse 16, but he calls him another helper. I'm going I'm, I'm to give you this other helper. And the reason he says this is because these disciples already have a helper. It's Jesus. But that helper is leaving. And this, this illuminates a really important truth for us. The Holy Spirit is sent to do in the hearts of believers very much what Jesus did for his disciples when he walked and lived with them. The the roles of Son and Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity and the third person of the Trinity, there's overlap there, and we should expect that. In fact, in 1 John 4, chapter 1, John calls Jesus Christ Christ our advocate, with the Father. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. Jesus is an advocate. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. You see, he will do what Jesus does. Just as Jesus taught and defended and encouraged and reminded his disciples of truth, The Spirit comes and does the same for us. So, remember, we said the Spirit is a he, not an it. But if you want to know the personality of the Spirit, what is he like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, the very presence of Jesus. Now, I don't pretend to understand the depths of what that means, We're treading in mysterious waters here. But we can assert what the Bible asserts. That there is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Distinct persons, and yet united as one God. So united, in fact, that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart, Christian, is the presence of Jesus. In fact, in verse 18, Jesus says as much. Look what he says, he says in verse 18, I will come to you. What was he talking about there? This has been debated by scholars. Someone said, well, Jesus is talking about when he comes back in the resurrection, he's gonna come to them then. And others people say, oh, it's when he comes back in his second advent, when he returns as judge, he's gonna come back then. Others have said, no, he's talking about he's coming to them in the spirit. When the Spirit comes to them, I believe we don't necessarily need to distinguish. Or that is, perhaps when he says, I will come to you, he has all of these in mind. Jesus comes in all these ways. In the resurrection, he will come in his second advent, and he comes to us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus We're just beginning to emerge from quarantine and some of us are starving to get together with people that we love face to face. We've got Zoom of course, but is this even a gathering frankly? It's a virtual gathering we call it, but what does virtual mean? Virtual means almost but not quite, right? Like virtual reality is almost reality, We have the hope that we will be together soon as a congregation, and that's good. That's a strengthening hope, but is it enough? We still long for presence right now. The same is true spiritually. We long for and need, in fact, the presence of God with us. I love the gospel. The news, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. That the facts of the gospel are stabilizing truths, they are life giving truths. In fact, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You and I need the gospel, and yet, God knows that as we walk through this life, we need more than just facts and ideas in our head. We need more than just news in our mind. We need the presence of our Savior himself. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is, if you are my follower, you are never alone. I will come to you. And the very gospel itself tells us, tells us that part of what we are promised as those who have put our faith in Jesus is the eternal presence of God himself. Verse 17, Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will dwell in you. See that word? The spirit dwells with you and, and Jesus promises he will dwell in you. Those Prepositions, they they point to intimate connection, to the unbreakable bond of unity that exists between the Spirit and God's people. In fact, in verse 20, Jesus says, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. (laughs) Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are united to Jesus as intimately and permanently as Jesus the Son is united to the Father. When Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, he is promising more than just a future presence. He's promising them a right now presence of God with them. And in them, he won't leave us as orphans. And this is better than just having a parent who's there. Think about someone, a kid walking down the street and the parents walking behind him. Every once in a while, he looks back to make sure mommy's with me or make sure daddy's with me. This is better. This is God walking with, alongside, and abiding in us. Beside and inside In verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, you see what he's saying there. Jesus is saying, when the Spirit comes, that is me coming to you. It's also the Father coming, one Theologian put it this way, in receiving the Spirit, we have the whole triune God with us. Not a piece of God, not a part of God, no, God himself. D.A. Carson, who's a, a great scholar that many of you know of, he says, this, this the presence of God with us, in the Holy Spirit, he says, this must not be construed as a merely creedal position. He's saying, it it can't just be a fact that we confess, that's written in our ancient creeds, and we confess it as true. We recite it from time to time. No, he's saying, continue the quote, the spirit, Carson says, is to be experienced. Otherwise, The promise of relief from the sense of abandonment is empty. You see, if you and I do not experience the presence of the Spirit, then the promise of his presence, the promise that we've not been abandoned, it rings empty. Jesus is promising to his disciples his own presence. He's promising this to individual followers. He's also promising his presence to the church as a whole, local churches like New Hope Fellowship and the church worldwide. He has not left us as orphans. Jesus is promising his very presence when he promises the Holy Spirit. The second thing we want to see is that Jesus is promising his power. He's promising his power. Look at verse 15 again. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, we have to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, keep my commandments, and then I'll give you the Spirit. No, that would not work, and it's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you love me, I will receive, you will receive, The Spirit. Those who love me keep my commandments, and those who love me receive the Spirit. Both of these things are true of those who love Jesus. God always connects loving him with keeping his commands. In 1 John 5, 3, in fact, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. (laughs) How is love for God manifested? Well, John tells us. But keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, he goes on. You see, love for God will manifest itself in keeping what God says. And keeping means obeying, but it means more than obeying. Keeping, this word has to do with holding on to Christ's commandments, valuing them, not jettisoning them, not letting them go, and following them. But the point Jesus is making here is not obey enough. And if you obey enough, you'll get the Spirit. If you you reach that level. No, it's love Jesus, and these two things will be true of you. You will keep his commandments, you will receive the Spirit. One way I like to think about this is that by keeping his commandments, we're expressing love towards Jesus, by sending us his spirit, he's expressing love towards us. He goes on in verse 21 to put it a slightly different way, but he's saying very much the same thing. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And again, he says a very similar thing in verse 23. Those who love me, I will manifest myself to them. How? He manifested himself to his disciples when he rose from the dead and appeared to them, yes. He will manifest himself to all his disciples worldwide when he returns. But he also manifests himself to his disciples through the presence of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, those who love me, they keep my words And those who love me receive the Spirit. And that needs to really be clear because we don't want to... The last thing we want to do is embrace the error, the dangerous misconception that the gift of the Spirit is reserved for those Christians who behave so well or do so many of the right things that they have graduated into varsity-level Christianity and now they can be blessed with the Spirit. No, Romans 8, 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And the flip side of that is true. Anyone who belongs to Him has the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for keeping God's Word. If anything, it's quite the opposite. It's the Spirit's presence in you that gives you power to keep God's word. You see, that's why we're saying Jesus is promising his power here, that through the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit himself will, in, it will give us the power we need to hold on and obey Christ's every word. He is the helper. And don't we need help to keep God's word? He empowers us to keep Jesus' commandments. He does it in so many ways. He he starts to change our desires so that what Christ desires becomes more of what we desire. Have you seen this happening? If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, have you seen your desires start to align more and more with his? Maybe the process has been so slow, so slow, that you don't even see it unless you look really closely. Maybe you need to ask some people in your life to, to, to remind you, to encourage you by showing you how they've seen your life, your desires, your goals, your values realigned with his Strengthens us. Spirit deepens our faith. Gives us strength to overcome fear. We see it in the apostles in the very beginning, the first few pages of the book of Acts. We see these very same disciples who were troubled and scared and needed to be assured, I will not leave you as orphans. We see them in the opening pages of the book of Acts doing great works. How were they able to do this? The Spirit that Christ gave them empowered them. Verse 25 of John 14, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Jesus tells us there, the the Spirit teaches, the Spirit reminds. And how does he teach us? The Spirit, when we began looking at this passage today, we began by asking for help. Because it's the Spirit himself who gives us clarity to understand God's word. The Spirit himself who opens up our eyes to see it as good and wise and trustworthy the Spirit himself uses God's word to reveal sin in our own hearts. To show us where we've been straying from the commands of Christ. Yes, the Spirit empowers us to keep Christ's commands. And what commands are Jesus talking about here? Recently in this very, uh, this, this room, this same evening as he's been talking to his disciples, he's talked to them about this commandment, this very important commandment. He calls it a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's also commanded them to serve one another humbly in ways that mirror his willingness to wash their feet. So at the very least, Jesus is talking about those commands. Love one another, serve each other humbly, but it's really broader than that. See, look, in verse 23, Jesus calls them my words, but he also calls them the Father's words. And in verse 26, he says, he calls it all things. He will teach you all things that I have said to you. See, this isn't a list, a, a, a discrete set subsection of Jesus' teachings. No, he's talking about everything that he's ever said. More than that, he's talking about the full revelation of God, everything that God has communicated to us in his word. Keeping Jesus' words involves living a life that's been shaped by all that God has said, by his full counsel. What are some of the things that Jesus has taught us about? What has he taught us about humility, for instance? What has Jesus told us about loving our enemies? What has Jesus told us about returning good for evil? What has Jesus told us about radical forgiveness? What has he taught us about repentance? He's taught us so much. And he's telling us here that through the Spirit who dwells in you, Christian, I will continue to teach you, remind you of, and help you understand and keep everything I've ever told you. I wonder how much do you ever think about how much your own thinking has been shaped by the world around you by the present day that you live in the culture right now how much has your mind been affected by the ideologies of this world i've been thinking as many of us have lately about the very present worldly ideology of racism And the thing I've seen about racism, or I've thought about this and talked to others, is that it's it's a lot more subtle than we might think. Racism doesn't have to look like overt, explicit feelings of superiority based on race. Sometimes it's more inconspicuous than that. Sometimes it looks like a very subtle partiality along ethnic lines, along cultural lines. That, 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 that in subtle ways deems people of a particular group to be especially prone to a particular kind of sin and thereby inferior. And, and in some sense, not deserving of the same care, respect, Dignity that others receive. We've learned, perhaps, to be judges rather than listeners from our culture. Have you seen that seeping into your mind and your heart? We, we're, we've learned to, to reject rather than try to understand someone who thinks differently than us. We're learning, I think, every day we're, that disagreement has to fundamentally be adversarial. This is what our culture teaches us. If that person disagrees with you, they are now the enemy. If that person disappoints you, cancel them. We cancel people rather than show mercy or grace in the form of patience or forgiveness. These are just some of the ways. Maybe we've learned that that he who shouts the loudest wins. Maybe we've learned from our culture that we should refrain from, refrain from pronouncing anything as ultimately true. Because nothing can really be considered ultimately true. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you can say with Psalm 139, Lord, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, then you can, you don't need to be afraid to do this, you can begin to examine yourself before God and say, Lord, show me. Where is their sin? Where is there evil here? I don't want to hide from it. I want you to show me where it is because I trust that you by your Spirit will reveal it and you will also lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit shows us sin and leads us away from sin. Jesus here is promising his presence. He's promising his power. And lastly and quickly, he's promising his peace. He says, peace I leave with you in verse 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We all want peace, don't we? What kind of peace do you really want? A lot of times I find myself wrapped up with just, I just want like a, a personal peace. Uh, maybe, maybe in the form of financial security or safety from danger. Do you want that kind of peace? Maybe you want comfort. You, you want your values and your freedoms to be protected. That's part of what it means to experience peace, you feel. So often, that's, where, that's what our version of peace looks like. I want to have what I want and be left to enjoy it. I don't want my freedoms encumbered. Frankly, that's the kind of peace that the world offers and seldom really delivers. It's the kind of peace that candidates appeal to, don't they? Either through fear by saying, if you vote for the other candidate, you will lose your safety, your comfort, your values will not be protected. Your rights will not be protected. Your freedoms will not be if you vote for that person. Or by offering themselves to fulfill those desires for peace if you vote for them. Jesus' peace runs so much deeper. Verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, he says. Jesus himself is troubled. We read that earlier in this chapter. And, that, and that's a key, we need to see that because Jesus accomplished peace with God for us by himself being troubled. He would soon face abandonment. He would soon be hanging on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He faced wrath because we have not kept his word. Because we have undervalued or ignored his word. Because we have preferred what the world has to offer us. We made ourselves enemies with God. We had no peace with God. Christ had to buy peace for us. And it was costly and hard fought. What would Jesus have to do to leave his peace with us? He would have to accomplish peace by satisfying God's justice. I was at a rally yesterday, and one of the refrains I heard often was, no justice, no peace. And and, and I think if, if received Rightly, that it's a true statement, and not, not as a threat, but it's just a statement of fact. In communities, there really is no real, long-lasting peace without justice. And so it is in eternity. You see, the peace that Jesus gives us, that he leaves us with, is an objective peace with God the Father. A reconciled relationship with him. We are no longer enemies. No, now we are Beloved. But in order to give us that peace, he had to be abandoned. And there's also a subjective felt side to that peace too. There's the objective side. says like We have peace with God eternally. But there's a subjective peace, a settled sense that it is well with my soul because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. It, it's not an ability to just kind of Stoically walk through life without feeling troubled. Jesus didn't live like that. He didn't hover above the turmoil. No, he felt it. This is a man who said, Now my soul is troubled. The peace that he gives us is a peace that we can experience even in trouble, in sadness. This peace is the experienced, felt awareness of the presence of Jesus with you. Yes, he has reconciled you to God. He is able to right every wrong, and he will. And he cares more about the injustices that you've witnessed. He cares more about the injustices that you've endured than you do. He has not abandoned you. And he has not abandoned his world so when he leaves us with this peace it's not ability to pretend like everything's okay things are not okay in this nation they have never been but he gives us a peace that we can bring with us into the sadness into the trouble that can live alongside the grief the pain I don't know how 2020 will be described in the future, but it probably won't be described as peaceful, will it? So I think a question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we doing to get peace right now? What are you doing to find peace? Where are you looking for it? Are you just trying to insulate yourself from the turmoil around you, distract yourself from it, self-medicate? Or maybe you want to engage the trouble. You're, You're raging against it and trying to find peace that way. And there's a certain kind of peace that can be found in both those ways, but it's fleeting, isn't it? Jesus offers us a peace through his presence via the spirit that is long-lasting and unchanging. He has not left you as an orphan. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in this world. Let's, as a people, stop looking for peace anywhere other than him. And the last question I want to leave us with, that's where are you looking for peace? last question I want to leave you with is, what kind of presence have you been where God has put you? What kind of presence have you been? You know, in verse 22 Judas, this is not Judas Iscariot, it's another Judas, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus' answer is an interesting, it almost seems like Jesus doesn't answer his question, but he really does. And he tells Judas and the rest of the disciples, I'm going to come and make my home with you. The Father and I are going to come and make our homes with you. That's how I'm going to manifest myself to the world. You see, Jesus will reveal himself to the world. He will reveal himself to the world by living in loyal disciples throughout the world who become conduits, communicators of his peace, of his truth. Just as the Father sent the Son, the Son in John 20, we're going to read, sends us. And he gives us a spirit to empower us to do what he sent us to do to bring, to communicate His peace, His truth in the gospel. I had to confess to my children recently that because of the anger and the outrage that I've been feeling recently, I've, I've allowed it to, to create a, a, a deep cynicism in my heart. And it's coming out, especially towards my family, a, a kind of hopelessness about the world, A hopelessness about the world that my kids are going to grow up in. Maybe you've been feeling some of that. And so, in my own home, some of that's been coming out. I had to confess to them: my presence in in this home has not been radiating and communicating the peace and the truth of Christ. It's been communicating hopelessness, anger. I won't mention or by name, but a sister recently shared about how via her presence in the workplace, others were able to witness something of the peace of Christ. The way that she engaged, the way that she talked about the turmoil that she was witnessing, just like they were. She was able to communicate, and it led to opportunities to speak truth the truth of the gospel. That's the kind of presence that our sister is being in that workplace. Wherever you go, Christian, you bring the Spirit with you. You are the very presence of Christ. You bring, I should say, the presence of Christ via the Spirit. And the presence of Christ is not always well received. Not always applauded. But he has commissioned us to bring his peace, his truth, entrusted to us via the Spirit to the world around us. What if we lived, New Hope, with a constant abiding awareness that we are not alone? As, as, as individuals and as a people, what if we lived with a constant awareness that the Spirit is in us? He has not left us. As orphans, Let's pray. Lord, what can we do but thank you for your spirit? Thank you for the peace that you have given us with the Father. And thank you for the felt sense of peace that is available to us now. Make us more aware of your spirit's presence in us. Spirit, don't allow us to ignore your presence in us. And we confess, Lord, we have not kept your word the way we should. Our nation has not. We have ignored your word. At times, we have even used your word to commit horrible injustices, to justify our sinful acts for centuries. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We thank you. That you have not left us as orphans. And we trust, O oh Lord, that you never will. Amen.